Okay, three different passages. They're going to talk to us about this, this section of our mission statement and what it means. Because every one of the clauses that we find in this uh, mission statement, you know, is, is stuff that we're familiar with. If you grew up in the church, you've been hanging around here for a while, whatever it might be. Every one of these statements sounds familiar. But if you're given a piece of paper and a pencil and said, what does it mean? Well, friends, that's the rubber meets the road stuff. So that's why we're talking about this. Before we jump in here, my friends, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. But before we jump in, let's pray together. Father, meet with us. I know that this, this message has been heavy on my heart all week long. God, you brought me to tears with this. And so I know that this is a message we all must hear. The burden, God, that I have to share with us today is great. So, Spirit of God, I pray that you will open the ears and open the eyes. Help them to receive what it is you gave to me, your word. And God, I pray that you will be glorified by the change that takes place in our minds and our hearts today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a mission statement here at Family Bible Church. As a matter of fact, we should have it up on the screen in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Look at that. The mission of Family Bible Church, please say it with me, is to become involved with people so they will know Christ personally, follow him completely, and make him known broadly. Let's just go ahead and just kind of take a look at that for a second, to become involved with people. My friends, this isn't just being where people are. This is intersecting in their lives. As God brings people in our lives, as we take steps of faith into people's lives, we know that God has caused us, called us to be ambassadors for him, that we are to communicate and live out the truth that he has given to us, my friends, and we want to share that with others, which is the whole point of being involved, why God has not, the moment you believe, boom, taking you right out of this earth, it's because he's got work for us to do. You know, A, to enjoy this, this great faith that he has given to us, to learn and grow in it, but also to share it with other people. So becoming involved with people, why? So they will know Christ personally. That is entering into a personal relationship with God by faith in Christ in response to the grace of God. Entering into this new body of believers. Entering into this mission of capital C, large church, church of all time throughout history and throughout all of the locations of the world wherever people have put their faith in Christ. Christ and gathered with others. It is the church. And we are all a part of that. And why? Why are we all together? What does it mean to follow him completely? I mean, I, I, I guess the, this morning, I hope, it is my hope, that in the same way that this, these passages that we're going to read here together and, and gain understanding just knocks you back a bit. It is my hope. It is not my intent. It's not preaching trickery. It is the word of God here this morning that I hope that will become clear to you and make you reevaluate your definitions of what it means to follow him completely. And of course, next week, we're going to talk about what it means to make him known broadly. 
So as we jump in here in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, in all three of these passages, Jesus talks about following him. All right, and we're going to learn a definition here today, my friends, just by way of study that maybe following him doesn't mean what you thought it meant. So take a look with me, if you will. In verse 23 of Luke chapter 9, Jesus said to all, now he had just performed this great miracle of feeding 5,000 people with uh, a bit of bread. And uh, this was a great miracle, so much so that they wanted to make him their king. I mean, you know, who wouldn't? Free food. I mean, this guy is great. Yes, here, let's have him be our king. He'll give us everything we want. And this uh, message here is given to all of these people, not just his 12 disciples, but anyone that would say, I want to follow him. What does it look like? Take a look. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, why? To follow me, right? Here is the instruction. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. For what profit does it pro- or for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Well, let's unpack that here, my friends. Jesus redefining in our own minds what it means to be a follower of Christ, a disciple as it were. I want you to notice that there are a couple of things here that he says have to go if we're going to be a follower of him. And the first I notice is this instruction to let him deny himself. What does it mean to deny yourself? The Jews just uh, practiced uh, uh, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, and uh, we read about it in Leviticus 16, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but there is a curious phrase in this passage about what God's people Israel were supposed to do on this day, and it involved everyone. The phrase is that they should afflict themselves. Now, that is certainly a metaphor for something that sounds rather simple. They were supposed to fast. And you know what fasting is? Fasting is not taking the bad stuff out of your life. Friends, you ought to always be working on that, getting that stuff that drags you down, that pulls your eyes away from Christ. You get rid of that stuff. This is the good things in our life that we say no to. Now, when we talk about fasting, that instantly makes our minds go toward food. Now, food is a good thing, you know? I mean, if we don't have food, guess what? We die. Food is a good thing. We need it. That's part of God's design in our life that we be able to eat, okay? Now, to the excesses that we eat, maybe that's another story, my friends. But fasting can also involve other things, you know? Other things that are good that we can say no to. We can say uh, a no to sleep, you know? How about this? Tomorrow, four hours, that's it. That's all you get. Now, I know some of you out there are like, I'll take that deal, you know? But I'm saying that what is it in your life that you just say no to? And that's the very concept here, to learn to deny yourself. To deny yourself is the exact opposite of everything within us. 
You know, we have this appetite. We love everything about our senses is all about us. We look at something and we like it, whether it be a sunset or somebody. And we look and we long and we, we're amazed and we don't want to turn around. You know, we don't, we don't want to close our eyes to these things because it's all about our sense. Of, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I want some of that. Ooh, this tastes good. Oh, oh, you know, all about our senses. It's learning to say no to ourself. If you are to be a follower of Christ, you must be able to say no to yourself. It is the essence of the battle against sin Because sin is something we want to do. And it typically is involved with something about our desires. Something to do with our senses. And we must be able to say no to ourself. Self-discipline, perhaps, is another way to say it. Is to do the last thing you want to do, knowing that it might be the best thing to do. Deny yourself. Now, we're going to see later on that he's referencing earthly comforts. How about this? How about for a week, just sit on the floor? How about skip furniture? How is that going to work for you? How about just learn something about saying no to yourself? You know, because I'll tell you, we love the earthly comforts. We love the hot food. We love the, you know, the comfortable situations. We, you know, we got the, not only do we got padded seats here, we have those comforting arm uh, rests right next to you, just so we can just kind of snuggle in a little. I mean, these maybe aren't your living room chairs, friends. You imagine sitting on a folding chair? You know, for like 40 minutes? Come on, you know? We can't do that. The fact is, friends, we can. The problem is we just don't want to. If we're going to follow Christ, we need to learn to deny ourselves. We need to, you just hold on to that one. We're going to get back to it in a little bit. And then I notice here as... uh, Uh, Verse 23 leads into verse 24 here, you know, we'll finish up 23. And notice this instruction, not only let him deny himself, but take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, there's an enigmatic phrase. What does it mean to take up your cross? I did a lot of reading, uh, various commentaries, and uh, people tried to explain this in different ways. For example, one commentator said, well, you see, back in uh, the day in which Jesus was crucified, Rome had those who were to, yeah, had the sentence of death upon them to carry their cross as a display that Rome was right. And so we must confess that God is right in all of these things. My friends, the cross is about death. Jesus didn't just go on a walk with the cross, friends. He died on the cross. The cross is an instrument of death. And of the greatest thing that you and I want is to stay alive. Our basic instincts say, protect yourself, care for yourself, keep yourself. And what Jesus is saying here is you need to be able to be willing to let go of your very life. I did not say that you need to kill yourself, friends. That is not what I just said. But we need to move to the fact that we put no demands on God. Everything is open and available. If God decides to put a tumor in your head for his glory, 
your response needs to be all praise to God. If you cannot align your thinking in that regard, then I am willing to go to be and to endure whatever it is that God calls me to endure. You're going to have a really hard time following Jesus. This is some heavy stuff, my friends. There is no doubt about it. Now you see why I might be a little loopy today. I have been carrying this all week long, but there it is. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Maybe the cross is symbolic of something. Well, look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life, he's talking about death. There is holding nothing back in following Christ. This is not the means of salvation. We're not talking about that. How are we forgiven of our sins? Christ died for our sins. He rose from the dead. That is the grace of God that he gave us this incredible sacrifice. How are we forgiven of our sins? We put our faith in Christ. But now what? What comes next for the believer? It is following Christ. And that starts, A, with denying ourselves even to the point of our very lives. Pick up your cross, this instrument of death. And here Jesus responds to what he knows. Yeah, but well, well, I'm no good to you if I'm dead. Well, my friends, if you're unwilling to let it all go, how useful are you in the hands and plans of God? If you are still holding back, no, everything but this. I can't deny myself. I, well, you know, I need to be here for somebody else. My friends, if you're not there for God, you're not there for anyone Jesus calls us to follow him completely, my friends. You wonder where that phrase comes from. There it is, Luke chapter 9. Now we're going to jump down a little further in our passage as Jesus is going to put all of this stuff on display. Here in verse 57, I want you to notice in chapter 9, we're going to see some very, very familiar things here, my friends. In verse 57, we read, As they were going along the road... And in verse 51, we read that that road is leading to Jerusalem. A big transition in the book of Luke in chapter 9 and 51 where Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem meant death for him. He was not there to visit the buildings and remember the old things of the old days. And friends, he was going there to die. His disciples didn't like the idea, you know, they went, oh, let's all live. Let's live healthy and strong and victorious. Well, there he is along the road, and someone came up to him. Imagine the boldness of this man, and this is what he said. I'll follow you wherever you go. Go ahead and think on that one. Maybe those words have come out of your mouth, maybe even in your mind here this morning. Whatever it costs, I will follow you. And yea, verily, my friends, they saw him feed 5,000 people, but they didn't know that was headed to the cross. Let me, for, and look at here, here it is. I will follow you wherever you go. And you know what Jesus said? Look at here in verse 58, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has not even a place to lay his head. You know, if you're looking for more bread and more life of ease and comfort, this is not the place to go. 
And perhaps we don't know what the response of this man was because the point isn't what his response was. It's what your response will be. What if it means great earthly loss? And it'll let you figure out what that loss could be, what you're unwilling to put on the table. And here we are in verse 59. And we come across another bloke. Earthly treasures is the issue here because to another he said, follow me. But this man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Well, that's an odd predicament. I mean, what was he doing walking around this road here if his father had died? The fact of the matter is more than likely his father had not died yet. And this man wanted to wait around for the inheritance to be divvied up. If this man had died and they bury somebody the same day, he wouldn't have been out and about, my friends. He'd have been taking care of that business. He had some other things on his mind. And you will notice, we're going to look at three people in this section here. And every one of them had something to do with the stuff of home. You know, the stuff that is nearest and dearest the home. Every one of those becomes, oh, I don't have any place to lay down. I don't have a home here. Well, you just fed. I mean, can't you buy one? Make some money. And here's this fellow. He says, no, I got to go home and bury my father. But you know, after I take care of that stuff, I'll follow you. And I wonder if that has been in your mind at all. You know, Lord, when I retire, then I'm really going to have some time. And it's then when I'm retired, that's when I'm going to give it all to you. My friends, that's not how discipleship works. Discipleship is give me everything that you have where you are today. And then see what God will do in you and through you. But discipleship is, is there is no no. There is no later in discipleship. And here he is. Let me, uh, you know, and what Jesus' response here in verse 60 is this. And you say, well, this isn't very passionate. But Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What is it that matters? The only way to evaluate the value of something is to know the end of it. Ultimately, friends, our hope is in another world. If I were to ask you right now, Three things, three things that you cannot live without. Come on, you've probably even made that statement about something. What is it? Is it your phone? Oh, I couldn't live without it. Everything's in there. If I lost that, woe unto me. What is it, my friends? Now, ladies, how about that purse? And everything all the way back to 1959 that's stuffed into there. You lost your purse, woe unto you. What is it, my friends? I'll tell you what. If your answer to that question includes anything that belongs to this earth, eternity is going to be a big disappointment. We do not live for the things of this earth, or we ought not, my friends. We ought to live for the things that will last, the things that will endure. That is what we invest our lives in. That's why we're investing in people, because people are the only thing that makes it into the next life. Nothing in our treasures, nothing in our possessions, nothing that we've packed away for a rainy day is going to make it, my friends. 
Not a single thing. And so here, this first man, he says, I'll follow you. Jesus says, well, it isn't going to be a road of comfort. It's not going to be a bed of roses, my friends. I don't even have a rock to put my head down on. And surely it's not about earthly treasures. Well, let me go take care of my father, you know, and then we'll take care of the investment, and then I'll have some cash to travel with, and oh, that's good thinking. That's wisdom right there. And Jesus says, let the dead bury your dead. You go preach the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, but who's going to take care of I mean, how am I going to? Well, I suppose that will require some faith, won't it? Some faith. And we come to verse 61, and we come across another guy. And yet another, verse 61, tells us, I will follow you, Lord, but first, and there it is. But first, let me say farewell to those who are at my home. I just want to say goodbye and tell them where I am. I mean, they'll be worried, and they'll talk to all their neighbors, and they say, has anybody seen him? And they'll put scrolls on milk cartons and say, where is this guy? It's just better for all of us if I go say goodbye. Now, the fact is, <laughs> Elijah did the very same thing, you know? Uh, Elijah called Elisha and said, well, I'm going to go home and say goodbye to him. Okay, that's great. Go ahead and do that. But my friends, <laughs> he was following Elijah, not the Lord. And I tell you, if the Lord says, let's go, it's time to go. If the Lord says, put it down, it's time to put it down. So no one, look at the response of Jesus here in verse 62, and let this sink deep into our ears. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you're going to follow him, keep your eyes forward. You want to look back at what you had and what you used to do. And I'll tell you, friends, this imagery of plowing, <laughs> the idea is to keep straight lines. But you can't keep straight lines, friends, if you're not looking forward. And here's this first strong statement. Anyone that looks back and they're still holding on and they still want what used to be. Jesus says, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. You're not fit. This is not the mindset of one who follows Christ. Let go. Let go. Well, we're going to look at our final passage here. It's in chapter 14 of Luke. Chapter 14, Luke 14, 25. Jesus is going to make a bottom line. If you have missed it thus far, Jesus is going to make it simple for you. Bottom line, Luke 14, verse 25. Verse 25, we read, Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, <laughs> that doesn't mean what you think it means. 
yeah, there's some Hebrew Greek thing that means, you know, if you're not willing to, no, (laughs) it doesn't mean hate, my friends, but it says, in light of following me to others, it might look like hate. Because your attention, your mission must be on me. Let it go. Because the fact is, if your hope and your focus and your work is not for God, all of the things you want for those people will come to naught. If you are not the person that God would have you to be in their lives, you're not going to have the impact in their lives you long for. Follow Christ over family. There, I said it. Argue with me. Go ahead. Tell Jesus. No. (laughs) Go ahead. You read it in your Bible, right? Follow me. Who comes first? Who comes first? You know, we we like to say that kind of stuff, but every once in a while, friends, we got to act on it. Who comes first? Because every other person that we begin to place in those priority systems somehow becomes an excuse. You know, I would. But really, this person has great needs, and only I can provide for them. And you're telling that to God? Only I can provide for them. The arrogance of such a statement. God is not saying don't care about your spouse or your parents. Those would violate his laws. What's going on here is don't you dare use these people as an excuse to not give me your all. All of it, my friends. Not some of it, all of it. So follow Christ over family. And then I notice here at the end of verse 26, we ought to follow Christ over even our own safety. Yes, and even his own life. Look at that. If anyone comes after me, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You put anything between you and that priority of following him, you're not following him. Let's not play games. Let's not, you know, add names to stuff that doesn't mean anything. You can call garbage a rose, my friends, but it's still garbage. All of it. Nothing back. When we talk about following Christ completely, we're simply reflecting what Jesus has already said. Nothing else replaces that priority. Nothing else. Nothing. Whoever. (laughs) Whoever. He cannot be my disciple. That's it. He cannot be my disciple. Go ahead and read that. Underline it. Circle it. Fold the corner of the page and go back and read it again. And then read some commentary and try and find somebody who will explain it away. But these are the words of Jesus, my friends. These are the words of Jesus. Follow Christ over family. Follow Christ over your own safety. My friends, there is no such thing as a half-hearted disciple. There is no such thing. We create little words. We talk about backslidden. We talk about all kinds of metaphors for people who are disobedient to God. There is no such thing as a half-hearted disciple. 
Look at here in verse 33. What does it say? So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let it go. My friends, a disciple is a believer who is fully invested in following Christ. Who lives for the world to come, not this one. You honor God in your relationships and God will use every one of those things. But don't you dare use anything in this world as an excuse for following him. Don't do it. Dangerous proposition, my friends. You may recall a fellow named uh, Jonah. Remember this guy named Jonah? I mean, God says, you're going to be a prophet of God. Yeah, I've got some words for you. And you're going to go tell these people. And it's going to be really great. Except Jonah said, you know, I don't really care about those people. (laughs) I mean, you know, the the reason you're doing this is probably because they're going to repent. So I'm not going. And you remember what God did? I mean, he put him on the ship. You know, Jonah's running off and he's, he's on this ship. And God says, guess what? Storm time. And they're heaving off everything they can on the ship when Jonah finally says, hey, that ain't going to work. It's me he's after. And so they, they pick up Jonah and off he goes. He's over. And lucky for him, along comes this great fish that swallows him, and he's okay. <laughs> you know, and then this, this, this great fish vomits him. That's the Hebrew. It vomits him out onto the shore. The, the fact is, friends, God has called you to follow him. God has called you to be an ambassador for him. God has called you to live out the life that he has showed you in people's lives. God will make it happen. And God has endless resources to make sure that's where you're headed. So maybe right now you're a bit frustrated in this life. And everything just comes out empty. No matter how big a bite you take or where you go or what you see. And it just shows up empty. And you will never, ever find that joy, that satisfaction, that ultimate purpose that riles you up while you're laying in bed and while you're up and working, like giving it all to him. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. Friends, the stuff of this world is garbage. It's just waiting for a destiny moment on top of a heap. This world is going to burn and we're going to live somewhere else forever. It's time we start investing in it. Let it go. What does it mean to follow Christ completely? It means to follow him completely. I mean, it means no hobbies. You know, Christianity is not a thing that you do on the weekends. Christianity is a life that we invest in him and the, the things that he calls us to do. The people he surrounds us with. There are no half-hearted disciples, my friends. So let it go. Let it go. You've got to let it go. 
You know, farmers and hunters in third world countries, they got monkeys everywhere, you know? And then how do you get rid of monkeys? Well, you got to trap them. The problem is they're really fast <laughs> and they're agile and they grind trees and everything else. So what they do is they know something about these monkeys is they'll hollow out a gourd or a coconut or, or maybe even a, a termite hole and they make this, this hole that's just big enough for a monkey to stick his hands and they fill it with either fruits or nuts or a combination of both and these monkeys cannot resist. So they get their hands in there and they get a fistful and they hold on to it, whatever they, and they will not let it go. And in doing so, they have trapped themselves. Because that hand that could fit in the hole when it was empty cannot be removed when it's full. And friends, if only we can see our connections with the stuff of this world that way. The stuff you are holding on to, my friends, is holding on to you. And we've got to let go. We need to aim higher. <laughs> if we've gained anything from this little study, friends, our aim of discipleship has got to be higher. It's not about volunteering. There is nothing in the Bible about volunteering. Okay, that is a thing of this world. We have been called, we have been commissioned, and we need to invest it all. The time here is short, my friends. This, this, this life, and you know very well, the older you get, the faster it goes. And it won't be long before we stand before him. And what will be in your hands? We need to aim higher. Following Jesus is a whole lot more than trying to be good and going to church, my friends. If you have put your faith in Christ, be the disciple he has called you to be. And start identifying things as temporary tools, these things of this world that we hold on to as opposed to eternal treasures. They're not going to last. We get a glimpse of a car that uh, apparently sells for $200,000 today. You imagine that? How great it would be? I mean, I'll bet you that thing has everything. You know, probably a little cup holder to keep your coffee warm as you drive. And in the acceleration, ain't nobody beating you to the next light. And it's garbage just waiting to happen. You remember your first car? You ever wonder what mountain of junk it's sitting on right now? It's all trash waiting to happen. Use it. It is a tool for today to accomplish the purposes of God. To start identifying these things as, as tools, not treasures. And never use people as an excuse to not follow Jesus. You never know. God may choose to remove them. It's happened before. I've seen it happen in my life. Family members' lives. Excuse this, excuse that. God has a way of removing excuses, my friends. This is not to scare you. This is to open your eyes. God has called us to more. And if he's called us to more, there is more. And you begin investing your life in this. And you're going to see things you only wished you could see. You're going to see the power of God. You're going to see the grace of God. You're going to see some incredible stuff that God will do. But only when you're all in, my friends. It's not about entertainment. It's about a life. 
to follow him, learn about him, serve him, obey him, and you will find as the days, the weeks, the months go by, you begin to look more like him. You will see the things that he sees and be passionate about the things that he is passionate about. And God will be glorified and you will bless him for it, my friend.